And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I am Amy Wilson Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morning Star. In case you haven't had a chance to talk with me yet, welcome to worship at Morning Star, where our mission is to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. Welcome wherever you are. Glad we are able to worship together this morning. Our passage today comes from James chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 14 through 26. You're welcome to follow along on the screens or in your Bibles or using your favorite Bible app on your phone. Or you can close your eyes and listen as I share God's word this morning. Hear now the word of God. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by his works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Men, are you ready? Within 30 seconds of beginning this message, I am going to give you something practical that you can use. This comes not from me, but from that great guru of how to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie. (laughs) I told you it was practical. Remember that a sound of a person's name is to that person the most important and beautiful sound in the world. In other words, a person's name is the most important sound in any language. I don't think my iPad is working here. I'm going to need some help with the slides. It's not connecting. Let me see. Pardon us. We are getting used to some new technology here. Let me try this way. Is it here now? Okay. Well, I think I think I had some help back there. Let me see if I can... Let's jump forward for a second. Yeah, okay. Got it. It's working. 
No worries. <laughs> so what Dale Carnegie says about the name is something that we can recognize, right? We are attached to our own names. We we like to hear our name shared on the lips of people that we love. We appreciate when a baby says our name. We clap our hands. We like to hear that. We like to see our names in print, most of us. Some of us want to see our names in big lights. And a marquee. Our names are important. We give great thought to what we name our children, right? We we think about this for weeks and months and maybe even years. It's always been this way. The ancient Mediterranean world was no different. Naming in the Hebrew tradition, for example, was an act of revealing something about the person. It could be about something that happened in the birth experience itself, or it could be a hope and a desire that the parents have for the future. Either case, the name of a person in the Hebrew tradition was meant to reveal something about the character of that person, either in the present or in the future. So consider the name Rahab. In Hebrew, Rahab means vast, wide, spacious. Although they were Canaanite and not Hebrew, we can imagine that when her parents named Rahab, they were not presuming that prostitute would be attached to her name for all of history. By the time she was known as Rahab the prostitute, as she is listed throughout scripture as if it were her last name, I'm sure Rahab's name had been dragged through the mud time and time again. So how is it that we find this woman's name shining brightly here alongside the great name of the patriarch Abraham with the word prostitute still attached to it? Among all of the powerful characters in our holy text who showed great trust and obedience to God, this woman who was not among God's chosen people at the time, is lifted up here as one of the strongest examples of faith in action. Now, the place where faith and action meet, that lies at the center of our current worship series. Last week, we launched this three-week series called Holy Justice, and we challenged this common lie that we tell ourselves in Christianity that we cannot be holy. And we reminded ourselves that to be holy is to be set apart and we at Morningstar believe that we have been set apart to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus through inspirational worship, radical inclusion, and the alleviation of suffering. And we know by now that these words are meant to be internalized by us because they are part of our mission and vision beyond these walls. So we began this series with an examination of the nature of our worship. And we reminded ourselves with the words of the prophet Amos that God expects our worship to go beyond our gatherings on Sunday morning, to be connected with lives of justice in the everyday. Well, the other two parts of our vision, radical inclusion and the alleviation of suffering, directly relate to justice as well. So that brings us to today's message, Faith Works. 
Again, Rahab is an example of faith in action. And obviously, James, the brother of Jesus, thought so, or he would not have lifted up her name in this letter that was circulated to so many faith communities in the early church. This letter of James is known to be practical. Some say James is a bit too practical, That great parent of the Reformation, Martin Luther, is known for having said that James was a gospel of straw. This criticism comes from the idea from some people that James is a little light on the grace of God, a little heavy on the actions of people. And certainly that last line of the passage that we read together this morning For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead, has something to do with that reputation. James lived, of course, as a contemporary of Jesus in the same household, with the same mother and the same earthly father. He made a name for himself as being one of those people who expected integrity from anyone who would follow Jesus. For James, a profession of faith was not enough. He wanted to see proof of God's work in the lives of followers of Jesus. He was a put-your-money-where-your-mouth-is kind of a person. That's why this letter reads like a legal argument or one half of a formal debate. That is the letter style that he chose to use. James wasn't messing around with other teachers of the gospel who would emphasize a person's good intentions but go light on accountability. James certainly valued love as a virtue, but he viewed the ability to love God and neighbor and enemy as proof of God's work in a person's life. We can hear in James' words echoes of that Old Testament prophet Amos And the words that we heard last week, it's just simply not possible in the mind of James to love God and to follow Jesus without actively caring for people who are suffering. Even people we don't know, even people we don't like. And any other expression of faith for James is completely inferior, and he seeks to make his case not based on his own interpretation of Scripture or even his personal experiences with Jesus, but by evidence provided by great witnesses of bygone days. So now we know why James was looking for strong examples of faith in action to make his point. But our holy text is full of stories like that, about many different people. So why Rahab? She's quite the contrast to Abraham. Abraham is the parent of God's chosen people, a man to be admired. He trusted in the promises of God and was willing to leave his home and his way of life to follow those promises at God's direction. Rahab, on the other hand, was not understood to be part of God's chosen people. She was living in the land that the Israelites believed that God was giving them, and they planned to take that land by force, even at the cost of human life. So Rahab literally was living in the enemy camp, a woman of ill repute who carried no value beyond the service that she provided to men in the shadows. And yet James tells the story of these two characters, Abraham and Rahab, in a parallel way. 
Perhaps that's because James knew this was not the only time that these two names would appear together in Scripture. Both Abraham and Rahab are listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Now, it's possible that James and Matthew were written around the same time, or even that Matthew was written after James, but that really doesn't make much of a difference because James was a brother of Jesus. So the genealogy of Jesus is also the genealogy of James. James was a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Rahab, one of five women mentioned in that genealogy, all with scandals attached to their names. That list, of course, includes Mother Mary. A prostitute and a virgin. Talk about contrast. So maybe, just maybe, that was part of the point that James was trying to make. Such is the kingdom of God, where all are welcome, where not one person is in need of God's grace any more or any less than the next. That thought didn't originate with James, of course. He could have borrowed this reasoning and even these examples from the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews defines faith as the assurance of hope, the conviction of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for, an evidence or the conviction of what we cannot see. And whom do we find listed right there in Hebrews chapter 11 as exemplars of such faith? But Abraham and Rahab. By faith, the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So whatever feelings the name of Rahab may have drudged up in the gossip mills, James clearly puts her in the same league with Father Abraham and Mother Mary because of her faith. And not just her faith, but her faith in action. We find the story in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Joshua has been charged by God and Moses to lead people into the land promised to Abraham And Joshua sends two spies to assess the situation because, of course, the land flowing with milk and honey already had people living in it. I'm not ignoring here the fact that this story is really complicated. The fall of Jericho is tied to the faith of Abraham and Rahab, and it includes the destruction of an entire people group. And Joshua and the Israelites and generations of Hebrew people believed that God ordained this destruction. This is how the story reads in our text, and it's how the story is told even today. And it's ugly. It's violent. It leaves me with lingering questions, as do many of the stories in the Old Testament. And it's possible that James had questions about this part of his people's history, too. We may never know. But what we do know is how he viewed Rahab's response to the situation. So let's go back to the story. Joshua chapter 2. The spies are in Jericho. Not long after they sneak into the land, someone calls the Crime Stoppers hotline or makes a post on the next door app to alert the king that spies are in his kingdom. 
In fact, they tell him they will, he will find the spies in the home of Rahab the prostitute. So this powerful king confronts the powerless prostitute and demands to know where she has hidden the spies. Two men have been here, she says, but I don't know who they are or from where they came or where they are going. A likely story, right? This would not have been an unusual occurrence in the house of Rahab if she was who people said that she was. But this time it's not true. The spies were at that very moment exactly where Rahab the prostitute had left them on the roof, hidden under stalks of flax. But the king didn't know that. So following Rahab's direction, misdirection, the king and his army go on a wild goose chase, and the spies escape to safety. It's a really dramatic story, made even more dramatic by the profession of faith that Rahab makes, a confession. I know God has given you this land, she says. Our people fear you. We are melting in fear of you. We have heard stories about your God who parted the Red Sea so your people could escape slavery in Egypt, who has given you the power to destroy kings and kingdoms. Our people fear you because we know that your God is the God of heaven and earth. It's a beautiful speech. And she closes with a plea. When you return to claim this land, remember me. Remember my family. Spare our lives as I have spared yours today. And the spies agree. They give Rahab a red cord to tie in the window. This cord is symbolic of the blood of the lamb over the doors of the Israelite people in what we now call the Passover when the angel of death spared the firstborn of the Israelites while the Egyptian firstborn died. The hope was then that with this cord in Rahab's window, death would pass over her family. In the sixth chapter of Joshua, we are told that the events come to pass just in this way. Joshua and the army invade the land of Jericho and take it by force, killing many of the inhabitants in the land. But the prostitute and her family remain. Why? Because Rahab lived up to her name. This woman who was born outside of the Jewish faith had a vastness about her spirit, a spaciousness in her soul that left room to see God at work even if she did not understand all of the details. One of my favorite writers is Anne Lamott. Do you know her? Have you read any of her material? She's hilarious, or maybe a bit irreverent, but really, really funny. She writes about life and faith. She has written many books. One of them is about prayer, and she asserts that we human beings basically have three prayers. Help, thanks, and wow. We use different words, right? We'll, we'll embellish, we'll add to those things just so we know that God is clear, about what we're talking about, but basically our prayers come down to help, thanks, and wow. And I would say she's right, but I would add one more. And this one is not original to me. I came across this prayer in a speech class in seminary when I was assigned to share it with the rest of the class as we were practicing talking in front of people, right? Are you ready? It goes like this. Dear God, count me in. Your friend, 
Herbie. Count me in. You can just imagine. <laughs> He's already heard this once, y'all. Um, you can just imagine a child saying this, right? This prayer is so great. It's quick and short and to the point like help, thanks, and wow. But those others are mostly about us. Even when we're saying wow, it's in response to something that we've experienced. But this one, count me in, is more collaborative. It's more cooperative. You can imagine Herbie rubbing his hands together and saying, let me in, count me in. This isn't just let me into the pearly gates. This is let me in on whatever fun and exciting thing you have planned. This is a let's go outside and play and I'll be on your team kind of a prayer. I would go so far to say that count me in is a prayer of Rahab. And I think James would agree. Rahab's actions were the stuff of faith in action because she lived in that place where faith and action meet. And that's why her name lives on, offering us an important example, not of blind faith, but of leaving room to cultivate in our souls trust in the wisdom and in the action of God, even when we don't know exactly what's going to happen even when we don't know how our part connects to the greater scheme of things. And it is a scheme, beloved. How could the grace of God, the kingdom of God, where prostitutes and virgins find favor side by side be anything less than a scandal? I fear that somewhere along the way, beloved, our good Protestant sensibilities have sanitized our faith reducing it to a set of beliefs that fit pretty nicely within our daily routines. So I'm wondering if we, as 21st century Christians in America, by and large, have forgotten the count-me-in part of our baptismal identity. I wonder if we've left God's call for justice mostly unanswered and have relegated our faith to the shelf alongside other aspects of morality and ethics. Now, this is not a judgment. I am part of this culture, too. But it is something to ponder and perhaps a call to action as we move into our final series, our final sermon in the series next week, and also as we close out the first month in this new year. So this is today's invitation to spend some time with God in prayer, saying, count me in. And asking God to reveal what that next action is for each of us. We're going to consider many different ways that we can take action, that we can be a part of what's going on at Morningstar next week. This is how faith works, beloved. Calling us to live into the name that God has given us, beloved, in a response to God's love for us. I honestly know of no better way to win friends and influence people. Are you ready? Because we have work to do. Amen? Amen. This is the time when we pray together. I hope that you are receiving our email on a weekly basis that shares the concerns of our community. We're mindful that many people connected to Morningstar are dealing with COVID-19 right now. 
We certainly offer our prayers of sympathy and condolences to the family of Leo Clear. Some of you know him through Lighthouse and through El Cavario and through other acts of service in Las Cruces. Leo passed away this weekend due to complications of COVID. So we offer love and grace to those who knew him and loved him. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, it is easy to be overwhelmed by the pain of the world. We want to turn off the evening news and tune out the stories of human suffering, but we know that you call us to pay attention to those around us, to do more than simply give to worthy causes, to do more than pray the situation into your hands. Help us to live out our faith every day, resisting wickedness, and living with compassion that spurs us to action, inspire us to meet the needs of others, to reach out with hand and heart, and to provide for the real human needs of others, trusting that this is what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies. In short, count us in. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.